Good morning, everyone. Good to see you here. Uh, so we're continuing on in our series, Get Fit, uh, week three. And I don't know if this has been your experience so far. It's been mine, where each one of these topics is like a punch in the gut. You know, like spiritual fitness. Okay, I know I need that. Emotional fitness, talking about anxieties. Okay, I, I need to be fit in this way. Today, we're talking about mental fitness. Next week, physical fitness. Glad I'm not teaching next week. All right, you know, the week after that, financial fitness, off again, right? So it's all these majorly important things that we need to have in our life, and it's, it's been tough. And today we're talking about mental fitness. Now, one of the key values we have here at CVC is a self-feeder. You're going to get a little drop of what it means to have mental fitness in your life. So I encourage you, you know, Go home, do some research on your own. There'll be some things on our social media that'll, get, that'll allow you to uh, grow in your mental fitness this week and then the months and years to come. So I've got, uh, let me see here it is. Got my little friend Fred here. And hopefully this doesn't give you flashbacks from your 10th grade anatomy class. Let me crack open Fred. All right, so this, this is what we're talking about today. Like, our minds, hopefully yours is bigger than this, right? How we think, and this isn't like kind of, this is like, how do we use the brain in our skull, the rational capabilities of ourselves to be a better Christian, to be a follower of Christ? And before we get going, let me pray uh, to get us started. Heavenly Father, Lord, would you help us get a better picture, a better understanding of what it means to have a fit mind? Lord, give us uh, wisdom and how we, having a fit mind, can love you more and honor you more and and, uh, be a source of joy and peace to others. And Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit just uses these words of Scripture and uses what we're going to talk about to make us more in love with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so before we get into our text today of Philippians chapter 4, I want to hopefully dispel maybe a, a religious rumor, a Christian rumor that you might have heard. Um, some people, maybe you've heard that Christianity is, uh, is about blind faith. Maybe you've heard that Christianity, you just kind of need to trust, need to have blind faith, take the leap of faith, just just lay it on the line, just trust. We see when Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew was asked, hey, what's the greatest commandment? Of all these commandments, what's the number one thing we need to follow? He said this in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, like this thing. How do you love God with your mind. It's kind of strange. You would think that Jesus would say, hey, you, you know, you just, you, you love God with your heart and your soul. But he said, loving God with your mind is a, the third leg of a three-legged stool for loving God. So when we think of like, okay, if, you know, it, Christianity can't be about just blind faith. Christianity is not a philosophy. It's not a myth. 
It's not a fairy tale. Christianity and the faith of Christianity is deeply rooted in historical events. Let me give you an example. The story of Christianity is that we were broken, that we, we were in the Garden of Eden, we had all goodness and truth available to us, sin entered the world through our own decision, broke the world, and God, wanting to reconcile us to him, sent Jesus to die and rise again for our salvation. That's the story of, Je- that's the, story of the gospel. That's the story of Jesus. And so Jesus died, and the Bible says he was placed into a tomb, and three days later, this tomb was rolled away, and he resurrected, right? So why was the tomb rolled away? Now, you thought it was so Jesus could get out, right? <laughs> no, no. In other parts of the New Testament, after Jesus, is, Jesus rises from the dead, he appears in locked rooms or no one opens the door. He appears and disappears, The stone was rolled away so that we could see. See, the faith in Christianity, faith in Jesus is rooted in the fact that he didn't like turn into a ghost. Jesus truly rose again. So there was no body left in that tomb. And the gospels themselves, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are historical books uh, uh, Luke and Acts are two books that actually are part one and part two, and they were commissioned by this rich guy named Theophilus. He said, hey, Luke, I'm going to give you some money. I want you to go around and interview people who saw or claimed to see Jesus. I want you to go to these places, walk the same road to see if what everyone is saying is actually true. See, Christianity is not based on blind faith. If you don't get anything else from our discussion, it is not blind faith. It is historic faith, faith rooted in real historical events. The Bible itself says, hey, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we are followers of Jesus, of all people most to be pitied, right? You shouldn't be given your money. You shouldn't be given your time. We should go, all go out you know, hit the bar, right? <laughs> Spend some time in Cancun or whatever because what you're doing is a joke if Jesus didn't literally rise from the dead. So as we look at this, this issue of mental fitness, let's keep in our minds that Christian faith is a thinking faith. It's a faith rooted in real historical events. All right, so we're going to look at Philippians chapter 4. If you've got your Bibles or your Bible apps, you can go ahead and turn there. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians chapter 4. And I'm going to challenge you. For the next 10 minutes, it, you, I'm going to challenge you to follow along with me. It's going to be a little cumbersome as we look through this text. But if you follow along with me, I think you'll really get it. It'll be a major tool for you to use to have joy and peace Uh, in your life. So let's look at that. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. All right, so Chad preached on, these, on verse 6 and verse 7 last week, talking about emotional fitness, 
trusting God and giving God our anxieties. And the reason that we can give our anxieties to God is at the end of verse five. It says, the Lord is at hand. What does that mean? It means the Lord is at your fingertips. The Lord is right by your side. The Lord is near you to protect, to care, to comfort, and to build you up. See, the fact that the Lord is at hand, that's the basis that we can have the peace of God. In verse 7, it talks about the peace of God that passes all understanding. The Lord being near is the foundation that we stand on that we can then cast our anxieties on him. But see, some of you may be feeling, hey, you know, I believe in God. I trust God and I believe in Jesus, but I still don't have that peace of God. Like, I know that Jesus died and rose again for my sins, but that peace of God, it's so elusive, so slippery. And I think that's the story for a lot of us. I think a lot of us recognize and kind of understand um, that God is able to, cap, to receive our anxieties, that he's greater than our cares. But it's so hard to stay in that. So what do we do if you're a follower of Jesus to stay next to God, to stay in the peace of God? Well, Paul gives us uh, the key that unlocks God's peace. The end of verse seven says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, we can have peace and relinquish our anxieties onto God when we remember that we are in Christ. Now, what is this in Christ phrase mean? It, it, It comes up all through the New Testament, and it basically means someone who believes the gospel, someone who believes that Christ came, died, rose again for your sins, and you've given new life when we trust and believe in Jesus. But sometimes it's hard to remember that that's our position. It's really difficult to remember that, hey, I'm that valuable to God, that I am in Christ, that I've been given a new citizenship, a new home, a new family, a new last name, because I am in Christ. See, Paul's saying it's like this. When we remember that we are in Christ, we are secure. It's like one of those dog, um, those invisible dog fences. You know what I'm talking about? You ever see those? So you bury the wire in your yard and you put the, the collar on the dog, you know, and you, whenever it runs into that fence, it gets a zap. So it'll, you know, kind of backpedal and bark and bark and bark. It's kind, of like, it's kind of like this. When we're in Christ, when we remember we're in Christ, we are on the other side of that invisible fence. We remember, hey, I am, I, Christ loves me. I'm been saved. The Lord is at hand. So our anxieties and fears can charge us. It can make a lot of noise, make a lot of ruckus, but it can't go but this far. Because if we stay in Christ, that is where the peace of God resides, in Christ. God, the gospel is the basis in which the peace of God guards our hearts and 
our minds. All right, let's keep reading. Look with me, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. All right, so the Lord is at hand, gives us the basis for not being anxious because God gave us his son and we are safe, love, secure in Christ Jesus. So now Paul is giving us this list of things to think about. Now this word think is a very specific word. The New Testament is written in Greek and this word think is the word logizomai. Okay, what is that? It's the term we get, it's the word we get logic from, logic, logizomai. So what scripture is telling us is that we need to think, we need to logic, we need to use our capacities for reason to think about what is true and honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy. We must use our minds to logic about those things. And now some of you may be thinking, okay, I hear you. But you know, that list is kind of nebulous, right? Like, let's look at, look at the list with me. Whatever is true, okay, I think we get like, okay, what's true, what's false. Whatever is honorable, like, uh, all right, well, I know other people who think about honor differently. Whatever is just, well, depending on who you ask, some people have different forms of justice, different views on justice. We know that even recently. Whatever is lovely, some things I think are lovely, other people don't, and vice versa. Whatever is commendable, there are a lot of things that are commended that shouldn't be commended, right? Whatever, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, there are a lot of things in our world that we praise as a culture, but should not be praised. So it almost seems that there's so much wiggle room in this list that it's kind of hard to apply. Like, how do we determine what is worthy of praise? And, how, and, and what do we think about that? And I was, through my study, I was racking my brain thinking the same thing. Like, how do we apply what, what Apostle Paul is saying? Through my study, most, almost all commentators agree that this list is primarily a list of just generally held values in the greater pagan society. You know, the book of Philippians was written to a city in Philippi in a Greek and Roman context. And these words, half of them don't appear anywhere else in the New Testament. They're kind of a, a, a drawing in of general virtues in the pagan world. Right, so what is, what is the Apostle Paul doing here? Is he just saying, yeah, you can kind of, you've got, you've got the Bible, you can kind of sprinkle in a little bit of this, a little bit of that from the outside culture. You see, we've got, Commonly held values in our culture. You know, be yourself. You know, you know think for yourself. Uh, don't let anyone hold you down. You know, shoot for the stars. Is Paul just saying, hey, you can, just, you can pick up whatever commonly held values in your culture and, you, and you're good? 
Quite the opposite, because verse 7, the end of verse 7 unlocks the key to verse 8. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and guard your minds in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus is the key that unlocks how we should view this list in verse 8. See, as followers of Jesus, we should look at all things through a gospel filter. You see, the reason that the Apostle Paul gives us this tally list of commonly held beliefs and culture is because he knows that, like, you all live in culture. Right, You live in the real world, a real world that doesn't value love and goodness and the fruit of the Spirit like the Bible values. What he is saying is, your mind is the tool, your gospel is the filter with which you view everything in your world. And we know this, and I think we can experience this in our own hearts. See, Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And we must think and logic through a gospel filter about our world and our life. And the Apostle Paul actually does this for us in Romans chapter 8. In the beginning of Romans chapter 8, he is going on this beautiful discourse about what God has done through Jesus Christ and the gospel. And then he gives us a, a mental, a, a window into his mind, into his internal dialogue. Look with me on the screen. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 31. This is Paul thinking through a gospel filter. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that was raised. Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long as we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. See, Paul is modeling for the, us here a mind that thinks through a gospel filter. All right, how does that, what does that look like in our lives? 
Here's some examples of thinking through a gospel filter. Say you're single and you, know, you ask out somebody to go on a date and they reject you, and they're not interested. What, what bubbles up? I'm not worthy. I'm not worth anything. What is it? How do you think through a gospel filter? You think, I am worth enough for God to give the life of his son in order for me to be in relationship with him. I'm worthy of even the love of God, so I'm worthy. All right, say you're unemployed. You've been working for a job. You can't find anything, or you're underemployed. All right, how do you think through a gospel filter about unemployment? Because what begins to bubble up? I'm a loser, and I have nothing to offer. Gospel filter says, God made me how he wanted me to be made in love. In Christ, God does not see me as a loser. God sees me as a child, and his opinion is the truth. So you go out there, get your resumes, and you hit the pavement again because you're secure as a beloved child of God. All right, so you've got kids. They're 11, 12, 13, right? Starting to do some things, grow up, and maybe act out a little bit. So what happens? I'm a terrible parent. Or I got to lock this thing down, curfew at nine, you know, that kind of thing. So a gospel filter says, God is strong and he can do whatever he wants. I, as a parent, need to be a good steward of my children, but ultimately, they are God's. He loves them. God can do whatever, do whatever he wants, and they'll be okay. So you've got a big decision coming up. Should I move? Should I take this job? Should I go back to school? And, and fear and anxiety begins to bubble up in your mind. You, want, you don't want to wreck your life. A gospel filter thinks this way. I have been purchased by the blood of Jesus, and I am God's possession. I can't mess up my life because I don't own my life. God is in control. I need to pray and trust that God will lead me where I need to go for the next season of my life. All right, sexual sin. Here's something that we can all relate to. We think of past sexual sin. What do you think? I'm filthy, I'm used up, I'm dirty. That's what begins to bubble up in your heart. Gospel filter says, God specializes in adopting the orphans with the most mud on their faces. Jesus' righteousness is far greater than my sin. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, this is how we logic, we think through a gospel filter about what bubbles up in our own hearts. The Bible's true. As long as you have motive and a will, as long as you have a heart that's bent towards sin, you're going to have these things bubble up. But you need to filter these things out through the filter of the gospel. So not only does a fit mind filter think through the filter of a gospel about what comes from our hearts, but it thinks through a gospel filter about our world. See, we are inundated 
constantly, incessantly by messages, values, stories into our mind. We can't drive down the road. We can't open up our computer. We can't check the news without something telling you something. If you buy this, then you'll be better off. If you do this, then you'll have joy. If you don't do this, no one will love you. No one will care for you. Right? We just, it just keeps coming. And I think a lot of us, especially um, when we think about uh, media and entertainment, we think, how, how do I, do I just never turn the TV on? <laughs> right? Do I like, you know, move into the mountains and just cut myself off? Because that's the only way you'll get away from these messages. Well, here's when we go back to Paul's list in verse 8. His, this general list about what is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. And this is not a list of do's and don'ts. Christianity is not about do's and don'ts. Christianity is not about morality. It's about redemption. It's about did God really send his son, die and rise again for our sin? Is, is that true? That's the kernel of Christianity. So we need to apply a gospel filter into the media we, we allow into our minds. So we ask this with a gospel filter. Does this movie, book, podcast, video game, hobby, does this make me more thankful for Jesus? Does this give me a better picture of salvation? Does this help me love other people more? Does this movie give me a greater burden for people that are hurting and need Jesus? Does this book show me a picture of beauty, redemption, and reconciliation? Does this story give me an honest, uh, does it show honestly the effects of sin? And does it make me long for the new heavens and the new earth? That's how we think through a gospel filter about the media we consume when we allow our children to consume. Or does this tempt me to sin or promote sin? Does this devalue human life? Does this news broadcast make it harder for me to love people with whom I don't see eye to eye? Does this cause me fear, unhelpful anger, and despair? And does it cause me shame? You see, when Paul gives us this list, this tally list in verse 8, that we are supposed to logic about, think about, what he's doing is this. You know, I'm going to get a little, little personal here. All right, so in our world, you know, there's, you've, got, you've got right wing, left wing. We, right, you've got conservative, you've got liberal. You've got all, in every way, you've got not just politically, there's forms of entertainment, right? There's, you know, there's NPR versus Duck Dynasty, right? You've got, you know, you've got, you know, the New Yorker and you've got Politico. Like, you've got all these different um, Sources of media. And what Paul is saying is the gospel cuts through the middle of all of these. 
You see, the story of Christ flashes in all these strange places. It's not found anywhere outside Jesus Christ in this, the writings of Scripture. So when we relegate ourselves only to one form of entertainment or one form of news or whatever, we inherently cut ourselves off to opportunities to see the gospel flash in these various ways. If something has the marker Christian in front of it does not mean that it's inherently going to draw you to Christ more. I know that's weird to think about. I know it's kind of a, it's kind of a breakdown of some of the things. It's, it's something that I've been thinking through growing up in a Christian home. You know, uh, my dad was a pastor. You know, we had like, you know, you know, we, you know, the, you know, Cheerios are in little crosses, and we would eat those because we want, you know, we'd have like, you know, precious moments and stuff. And those are all good. Like, you know, if you have testaments that are like mints with a cross on, like that's fine. That's good. But what Paul, the Apostle Paul is saying is, is when we understand our Bible and we're led by the Spirit, we become goodness, truth, and beauty connoisseurs. We can look at things and think, man, I can see a flash of the gospel there. And we can look at something else and say, there's nothing that can be can point me to Christ. See, there are three categories. Those things that we can receive as Christians, those things that we can redeem as Christians, and those things that we need to reject as Christians. For example, um, today at three, right? Packers play and um, Seahawks. And that's, you know, that, that would assume, you would assume that that's just kind of more, like morally neutral. Okay, football, Okay, you know, those cheerleaders need more clothes. Okay, I think we can all agree on that, all right? You know, we don't need to spend so much as a culture on football. Okay, okay. But, like, when you see, like, a, an amazing pass and an, a, an amazing catch, and it just kind of blows your mind that humans could do that, I think that's good, and we can think about that, but we think through a gospel filter. You know, what we, you know what's even more awesome? And a touchdown catch, crippled, crippled people standing up and walking one day. That's what's going to happen when Jesus comes again. You see, it's wonderful to see a beautiful touchdown catch, but people who have no legs will one day be able to walk in the new heavens and the new earth. So we need to look at the media that we consume through a gospel filter. Let, let me explain um, or give you an example of how this has been tr proven true in my life in a documentary by Mark Singer called Dark Days. Has anyone seen Dark Days in here? Nobody. Okay, it's, it's on Amazon Prime uh, streaming. If, uh, I highly recommend it. It's got language. You know, it's got drug use. It's a documentary about a group of homeless people that live underground in an abandoned Amtrak station. It's completely dark. There's a little crack in the foundation. They're able to, they're able to crawl down in. And they live underground. And they build these structures. Little, you know, they find a scrap of wood here, a scrap of cardboard here, and they, and they live in this filth. There's feces everywhere, there's rats and 
filth and they, they burn tires, whatever they can get on so the air is acrid and it's, it's, it's unhealthy. They're, each one of these men and women are deeply broken. It goes into their story of how they ended up homeless. So this film producer embedded himself in this community for about a year and filmed these people living underground. And um, so one day, Amtrak says, hey, we're going to open up, we're going to restore that station. We're going to open up and, and our trains are going to go through there again. All right, so homeless people, you guys got to get out. And they were livid. They did not want to leave. That's their home. They were comfortable. They were fine living underground in darkness, in filth. They did not want to leave. And the Amtrak people were like, hey, we're burning your stuff down, whether you like it or not. And uh, a community development organization came down, found out about the situation, went underground and said, hey, we've lined up some public housing for you. We've lined up some food, some job opportunities, and it's yours for the taking. All you have to do is come out of the darkness into the light and your life will be astronomically better. And the last 10 minutes of this documentary is beautiful. It shows these homeless people tearing down the structures that they had built in their lives for years, and kicking down and burning up the filth that they've lived in. And the final seven minutes shows them in their new public housing apartments. They're cleaning the windows. You know, they're, they're working the stove. And it interviews them and say, hey, tell us about this. Will you, will you ever become homeless again? And they're, every one of them says, I can't even believe that was me. And one man is, he's frying chicken this beautiful, you know, this conversation goes, man, I, those are some dark days. But man, I'm glad I'm up here in the light now. There's profanity. In it. But man, that gets the gospel. That pulls at our hearts because we were those people. Before Christ entered into our lives, we were living in darkness, in the filth that was destroying our hearts and destroying our lives. But Christ entered into our world, provided not, on, not just public housing, but a room in the mansion of God. And he came and pulled us out even when we didn't want to and gave us a new life. But the difference is, Jesus, he went down and he died in order to give us a new life. But he rose again on the third day. And now we get to spend our eternity with him. You see, when I see that, I think, I don't know if the producer knows Jesus, but I see the gospel flashing in all different places. And when we think about our media consumption, we think about what we allow into our home, that's the lens with which, that's the filter with which we need to think. You know, it's, it's kind of tough because it's a lot easier, I think, to do this and not do this, or don't do this, or don't do that. But what this does, it requires us to know the Bible. <laughs> it requires us to know the Bible and pray. 
Like we're, as if you're a parent trying to think through of what you want into your home, you're not going to make a very wise choice unless you know what God's told us in the Bible and you're in prayer. That's how we hone and we clean out that gospel filter when it begins to be difficult to think through that. In verse 9, it says this, And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Practice these. And the God of peace will be with you. Thinking through a gospel filter takes practice. And uh, so I, this, this week, I've, I've, I commissioned Nate. I was like, hey, Nate, can you do something? Can you put this verse 8 into music? So the band's going to come up in a moment, and they simply put verse 8 into music. So the, they're going to go through it a couple times. And I challenge you, take, that, take some time as they're singing and pray and saying, Lord, would you give me a better thinking process through a gospel filter? Lord, allow me to know goodness, truth, and beauty because I know Jesus Christ in the gospel. And allow that this, this list to marinate in your heart. I've actually asked Nate to record it. So it's going to be on Facebook, the MP3 this week. And I encourage you to download it, play it in your car this week to begin to think during your normal week, how do I view this through a gospel filter? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Lord, we're, we're lost on what to do without the gospel. Lord, and Lord, you know we, we go out into our, our daily lives and we, we want to do right. We want to do what you want us to do. But Lord, it's hard, so help us. Help us think about the things that bubble up in our heart Help us think about those through a gospel filter and about the media and what inundates us all the time. Lord, help us have a fit mind by thinking through that gospel filter. Lord, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you so much that um, we were in that dark place and you brought us into the light. And uh, we just praise you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.